You're listening to the NABS Now podcast, brought to you by the National Association of Blind Students, a proud division of the National Federation of the Blind. Welcome to the NABS Now podcast. I'm your host Nina and today we have an episode for you all about diversity. We have done a diversity episode before but we decided to put a different spin on this one by talking to some of our diversity leaders and past leaders in NABS. So we're going to jump right in and I hope you find this episode as informational and informative as I have. My name is Ellen Bartel. I am the president of the Illinois Association of Blind Students. I live in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm attending school online through Northern Colorado University to be a teacher of blind students. My name is Monica Wagner. I am a blind queer woman from Minneapolis, Minnesota, Um, recently graduated from law school, so no longer a student. I I served on the NABS board uh, in the 2020-21 year, and I was chair of the NABS Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Hello, my name is Colleague Ford. I am from Maryland. I am African-American. I I'm currently the Maryland Association of Blind Students president, and I also uh, served alongside Monica as the uh, co one of the co-chairs of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Hello, everyone. I'm Sarah Luna from Chicago, Illinois. I am a Mexican-American, African-American, cis-hetero female, and I just graduated with my bachelor's in history and communications from North Park University. And I previously served as co-chair of the NAVS DNI committee. I currently serve as the co-chair of the Illinois DNI committee, and I'm first vice president of the Illinois Association of Blind Students. Well, I'm really excited that you all could be here with us today and that we're kind of going to do a little bit of a different style of podcast. We're going to do more of a roundtable type discussion so that you all can share your ideas, and also bounce them off of one another. So I'll start with my first question. What feeds your passion for diversity and inclusion? So for me, my passion for diversity and inclusion really comes from the fact that every time I I look at this topic, I learn something. It's such a deep space, and there's so much to learn. I come away from every discussion and every experience um with a learning so it's almost selfish in some ways it's interesting because like monica i feel like my drive uh for diversity and inclusion is also kind of selfish in the sense that like i i just want to know more about different intersectionalities and different people and kind of how those different groups want to be represented uh because as an african american male like i know that you know, we have, you know, struggles being represent, represented, especially in America. And so wanting to kind of derail false narratives and share positive information that can um, 
you know, help better the, the world around us and also to take in information to learn about, you know, people in different uh, ideas and intersectionalities around me. So that's kind of what drives me. I guess mine's a little different because um, personally, not ethnic myself. I'm a white person, but I took a lot of ethnic studies classes in like school, and that always really interests me about different backgrounds and nationalities and different cultures. But then, like, also think about like my mom's side of the family. I consider Sicilian, and like back in the '60s, they were basically told that this is your house for ripping your house down and you have 60 days to get out no matter what. And I always thought how different cultures from back in different areas of history kind of dealt with the same things of not being wanted here in the United States in different ways, kind of like, and how all the cultures kind of mixed together in some way or another. I definitely concur with my colleagues. Um, I chose to study history um, as one of my majors. And for quite some time, I, like many people, just learned the master narrative of history with, that focused on the wealthy landowning populations. And my question was, well, what about the people we don't learn about? What about the women? What about the Native Americans? What about the people who don't identify on the gender binary? What about everybody who is ignored and marginalized? And so definitely it's a pursuit of um, knowledge, but it's also a pursuit of understanding the people who are marginalized and ignored and minimized in society. Um, and it's definitely a reason why I studied communications was because I want to know all the things that, that affect um, how we engage with the world and with each other. And so definitely about um, educating myself and others and trying to limit those inequalities. That's a really good point, Sarah, and it got me to thinking about kind of one of the other reasons I do this in that, like in corporations and in a lot of groups that I'm in, I don't see anyone like me mm-hmm. in a lot of different spaces. And so part of doing diversity and inclusion is about like getting more people who are Black and who are BIPOC and who are queer into these spaces where, you know, they're just not represented. That is, that is really important to me because I just don't see it a lot of times. I think that's one thing that the NFB and ABS and different um, affiliates have really focused on in the last couple of years is having a space for everyone that feels included. But it wasn't like that when I first joined the National NFB. Yeah, you know, I think it's kind of the idea boils down to community. And um, here in the NFB, like we are driven by the community of blindness, but I think it is crucial and it's something that we've come to be aware of, which is that we need to acknowledge that there are other communities that um, intersect with blindness. And instead of, you know, dismissing them or pushing them away that we're, you know, bringing them together and creating, um, you know, a larger community and, and also giving people access to, you know, different communities that they identify with, you know, outside of blindness, because I think that helps that strengthens, you know, like being around other African-American leaders, you know, shows me that 
I can, that there is a hope that I can reach that kind of upper echelons. And so it's definitely a motivator, but it's also, it's a learning experience too, because a lot of times you, when you get to have these kind of communities and stuff that, you know, that we're trying to cultivate, you, you just, there's just a lot of knowledge sharing and experience sharing. Yeah. And it goes both ways too, because as blind people, we want to be a part of other communities. So it's, it's not, yeah, it, it cuts both ways. Exactly. I think that's a really good um, point that you both just made about intersectionalities and having a space in communities for all of those intersectionalities. Um, that actually kind of leads into my next question. So how do you feel that your personal identities affect the work that you do? I think for me, it allows me to be more in touch with the people I work with. I think that, you know, growing up as someone, as someone who kind of struggled for a lot of the things that I wanted um, and, you know, growing up with a lot of adversity, not because of uh, my blindness in particular, but because of me being African-American and me living in a low-income uh, household and me living in a single mother household um, and, and having different issues like that. Uh, it, it definitely makes it easier to empathize with other people, especially people in the blind community who face discrimination and adversity because of their blindness. I don't know. I guess it's just experience that I, that experience that I've gotten from my culture, uh, you know, or be, you know, because of the limitations put on the you know the people in my you know community. I you know I definitely just feel like that is. Oh, you know, almost like exactly what happens in other communities, especially blindness and, you know, other disabilities. So it just, it kind of helps me come at it like humbly and with a certain fervor. I definitely agree with you, Q. Um, I would say for me, like my background definitely helps me have like empathy for other people as well. And definitely like fundamentally believing in the equality that we should all have. Um, because like I'm black and Mexican. And so throughout the a large portion of uh, American history, you know, Amer uh, African Americans were enslaved and you know, reading about all of those inequalities and reading about the marginalization that other communities have gone through. And for example, like I didn't get to Mexican history until I was in college and that like fundamentally bothers me. And so very much like because I studied the marginalization of so many people that very much fundamentally strengthened my resolve that we all deserve basic human rights and we all deserve equality. And for example, um, like last year, Illinois passed the bill that mandates that the, that uh, public schools teach LGBTQ history. And that I very much commend my state for doing that because yes, like I, I did get to learn some African-American history and, you know, this is very limited and I didn't get to learn any uh, Mexican history in my public schooling. And I'm, but I am so, so happy that children with, um, who belong to the LGBTQ community will get to learn about people who had similar experiences to them in their history classes. And they just um, signed a new bill that's going to mandate teaching Asian American history in public schooling. And I'm so, so happy for all of these young people who are going to grow up uh, knowing history of um, the people who they can identify with. Because I believe that, you know, everyone deserves to know that other uh, people were historically significant. Everyone deserves to know that they can accomplish their dreams. I think for me, my identity 
both as a queer person and as a blind person helps me spot gaps sometimes. So as a blind person working in corporate America, for example, one thing that I notice is there are a lot of blind people in accessibility. And so what would it, what does it take to, you know, in a corporation with an accessibility program, um, what does it take to get blind folks employed in other areas of the company? Like, let's not silo them in accessibility. And at the same time, when I look at um, diversity within the Federation, I notice as well, like queer representation in leadership is, you know, can always be improved. That's not to say there isn't representation in leadership. There certainly is. But being aware of it, being conscious of it, and trying to trying to improve that is is always a thing worth doing. And that, that doesn't just a, apply to, to queerness. It applies to, to race and to gender and all the things. Both of you have really good points. Because, like, how I see it, what you were talking about, Monica, is diversity is always going to be a good thing. Like, diversity, legit, like, is... I don't know. It's a strength in there, in my opinion. Like when you have diverse opinions, when you have more of an array of people in different places, better ideas and better like results come from it. And it's proven. I, um, and so like looking at the NFB, I think when you have such a talented group of people that are from different backgrounds and that have that represent different things, like you look at the CNI community and I feel like we've, we were able to drum up really cool ideas and talk about really different, like, a very vast array of things because we all have, you know, different things that make us, you know, like unique. Um, and I think on the, on the flip side is, yeah, like blind people do get put into these little holes. And I think sometimes like we feel like we have to, like we have to become TVIs. Like that's the only thing we can do. We have to want to work at a training center. Like that's the only thing we can do. We have to work in accessibility or we have to be a lawyer. And it's because, like, we feel like we can only break into certain fields, but that's not how it should be. We should be able to kind of grow and do whatever. If we want to be, you know, the CEO of a company, we should be able to do that. Or if we want to be, you know, uh, America's next top model, like, we should be able to do that. And I think, you know, diversity anywhere is is always going to be a better thing. So knowing that a lot, you know, allows you and allows me in particular to kind of put that into my my work at the in the on a dni level for for navs i just uh, say like from the teaching like experience like i chose to be a teacher not like i knew i couldn't be a general education teacher i actually have had some internships and worked with added students so like i know personally like firsthand it's not impossible i think a lot of times Part of the diversity is teaching our blind students who are going out into the workforce here the tricks and tips to work in the sighted world and area that are not just blind, blind is good in career. I think that's uh, one thing we should be working on in our student division and in our diversity and inclusion meetings and stuff like that because for now, we're going to be around blind people, even like 
when I am a TBI, I'm still going to have to work with general education teachers. I'm still going to have to work with parents and all sorts of other people on the staff. So it's more to it than just like working with one student. So colleague was saying how there's always going to be strengths of DNI. And that leads into my next question. Do you think that there will always be a need for diversity and inclusion? And by that, I mean specific um, efforts dedicated to diversity and inclusion, whatever that may look like in your imagination. I think yes, because the need for diversity and inclusion efforts arose because segments of society were clearly being marginalized and there were different societal standards and expectations that very much hindered the success and the societal acceptance of so many people. And say if we did achieve some kind of equality for um, queer people and for black people and for Asian American people. This is one of the things that just diversity and inclusion just never ends because if you stop the efforts then it just opens the door for another community to be marginalized in the future and to get to slip through the cracks. So there are always efforts there should always be an effort to make things equal for, for people in society and to help everyone succeed um, because there are um, social, political, and uh, e economic inequalities in this world. If people aren't working towards uh, minimizing those inequalities, then there's always going to be some people who are marginalized. For me, this is a really hard question because, like, could we get to a point in our society where we could just celebrate our differences as humans and live in that kind of situation while acknowledging our history. I, I would so. love it if we could. I, I would, Oof. yeah. Um, so am I prepared to say that there will always be a need for diversity and inclusion? I, I, don't, I don't think I can say that. I think there will, all, there will be a need for it in our generation but could we get to a stage where there isn't? I would, I would love it if we could. Like one thing I think about diversity for the future is that it's still gonna be a topic because people that are in power most of the time don't really think about diversity and inclusion that much and just think about what's gonna help their company or what's good or what's gonna make um, money for their company and that's I think there's always going to be a place for diversity and inclusion and just a safe place for people to come and talk that are facing the same issues or just want to talk about like, how they feel about the workplace or um, being in the NFP and just having the groups of the, in the NFP and the certain workshops that we have there in National Convention for all different types of groups and everything. You know, I've really learned a lot from a lot of these meetings and from hearing from other people. So I, I think having a place for people to come and share is always going to be important in, in any like, type of environment. You know, it's interesting because I, the optimist one in me wants to believe that it's, it's possible for us to never to, to, to reach a point where we don't need, um, you know, a DNI committee or don't need to talk about diversity because people won't be ignorant and they will actually think about it. 
then they will realize that there are different people in, in this world and all of them have different cultures and different backgrounds and different intersectionalities. But I think, to be honest, I'm just a cynic. Uh, and I think part of that is because, you know, I have conversations with my grandmother and, you know, she thought that my mom's generation was going to be the generation where black people were going to be treated equally. And my mom's generation thought that my generation was going to be the, the generation where black people were treated equally. And you know, I <laughs> kind of hope that my kids' generation, that generation, but realistically, it's just been proven to kind of be for naught. And that kind of sucks, right? Like, that really sucks to say that, you know, while we've made progress, it sometimes feels like we've not made progress. Like, we take five steps forward and 10 steps backward, or like we go like five steps forward and then like someone like scoots us over to the side and they're like, well, you know, it's all good. We're still moving straight, sort of. But um, it's like, well, and I, I think there's good and bad, right? Like, I think it's it's terrible that, like, because of just the, you know, the ignorance or, you know, the fact that the system isn't structured for people to learn about different cultures and intersectionalities is the way it is, like, that I don't know if we'll ever be able to get to that point. But I think the other thing is that I think it's okay to have committees like this and, and, and people devoted to making sure that we're staying up to date and that we're staying current um and that we're making sure that we're including everyone and that everyone's represented and that information is being disseminated about how people want to be treated in different groups um and so in terms of you know an information disseminator and all that i think like it can be a good thing to have a dni committee and to continue for that to kind of almost be a permanent idea that we have someone to make sure that we are getting those those kind of that kind of information but i you know i i realistically would love it if we could get to a point where we didn't need you know a group of people to be like hey i exist and you know the system has been oppressing me um and like the system is is kind of stacked against me and this needs to change but i don't know if we'll ever actually reach that point so I have a follow-up question for you because you brought up a really interesting point about how a lot of times generations kind of have the hope that the next generation will be the one to either make the change or experience the change. And I know that you kind of brought attention to the fact that that doesn't always pan out like you hope it will. And as humans, we're kind of optimistic sometimes, and sometimes overly so. But I want to inquire about the fact that, do you think that that hope is valuable? Because if people didn't have hope that, um, I heard this quote today, and it was the challenge can turn into the change. Don't know where it came from, but I thought it was good, uh, considering we're recording today. So if people don't have <laughs> the hope that all of these challenges and all of this oppression can turn into change, would people still be doing the work that they do? Do you think that that hope does have a place in DNI? Because without it, I don't know the answer to this, but would there be, you know, enough motivation for people to sometimes do something like you said that kind of feels like a losing battle? No, I, I think the hope is is super important. The hope is the reason why we're even here. The hope is the reason why we're having this conversation. I think, I think hope is what drives us because at a certain point, like you, you get to you know, 60, 70, 90 years old, you know, my grandmother, like, she can be kind of jaded. And the reason is, is because sometimes her hope runs low. And sometimes she just doesn't have enough motivation. And then like, 
but then she'll see things like, um, you know, like when I became the male student division president, she saw me rising to a position of leadership. It excites her, right? It, it makes her feel like um, that there's still hope, right? And so it's the hope that's going to gonna rally the forces, right? Like no military will be successful without morale. Well, for us on the, on the political battlefield, on the social battlefield, hope is what's going to drive us. So it's our, it's, more, it's our morale. So I think it's always going to be something that we're going to need. I, I think that it's good to have. I, I think sometimes it's hard because like we hope it feels like, you know, it feels so fleeting sometimes, or it feels like, you know, should we have to hope for something? It should just be an absolute, right? Like we shouldn't have to hope that we'll be treated as equals. It should be an absolute that we're treated as equals. Like we shouldn't have to hope that we'll get our human rights, but it should be an absolute. Um, but I think as long as we have that hope and as long as we continue to see progress too in certain directions, then I, I think that, yeah, that hope is there and it's definitely justifiable and, you know, it's important for the movement and, you know, for mankind. I agree with that, that this work does require hope and it also requires a bit of selflessness too. Um, it makes me think of like the suffragettes and like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. They fought tirelessly to get women the right to vote and they didn't even get to live to see it. And I think that so many people worked tirelessly for, um, <clears throat> for suffrage and for the Equal Rights Amendment and for things like, like the Civil Rights Act. And so many people didn't get to um, experiences the, experience the benefits of those outcomes. And it required so much selflessness on the part of so many people to push for change and change that they themselves wouldn't get to see, but that their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren would get to experience and take advantage of in the future. So yeah, it's a lot of work and it requires some selflessness, and, but like without hope, then you know, it's, it's a massive driving factor in all of this. I think I am a bit of an optimist in that I think that the best time to live in our history is always now. Um, I think the world is better now than it was 20 years ago, and it was better 20 years ago than it was 50 years ago. We do keep improving from generation to generation. It's just more incremental than we might want it to be. I also think, I don't know, and this might sound a little like, very much a little bit like my war example. I think to lose hope, like, to, to take away the idea of hope is to almost give in, right? Like give in to the idea of systemic like problems, like, like to say, okay, whatever, the system is whatever it is, and we're just gonna have to live with it. Because then like, you know, then we're like, for instance, you look at the George Floyd case, George Floyd case, and you're like, if we didn't have hope, if we didn't have hope that, you know, rallying together and protesting and pushing the fact that this is something that is wrong and should never happen, it would have just been swept under the rug and it, you know, it would have just been another case and people would have thrown their hands up and be like, yeah, this happens. Um, so I think hope definitely drives us. And I think Monica, you're right. Like, do we continue to move forward? Yeah. Um, it just, you know, like you said, it's very incremental, but it's also, I, you know, sometimes it's hard because like, I think we're all searching for the light at the end of the tunnel. And I, I think that's different for everyone. And, you know, it's just, it's hard to predict if, when, and if we can reach that light, you know, or if, you know, we're always just kind of going to be moving and shuffling incremental steps. Like, 
I think the last thing is, I think sometimes it's, it's hard because some of the things that we're fighting for are very basic. Like they're very realistic. They're very, like, they're, they're so absurdly, like, fundamental. Like, common sense. Common sense. Like, like you just you just kind of wonder yourself like how is this not something that we've worked out already and i think sometimes that's the hard part it's like like it's a it's a it's the fact that it's so fundamentally like right and wrong like clear cut clear cut it's so fundamentally clear cut that you just that's where it kind of gets hard and that's when kind of hope can be kind of like shifty and it feels it feels hard because it's just like sometimes the the most clear cut things seem to be the things that are the farthest away from us i think a lot of it will help with hope is people listening to other people about issues and just having an open mind about like what's going on in the culture and the community because if you're willing to listen to other people that have different experiences than you do and just be willing to help in any way possible I think that's will help a lot in the future and now. What advice would you give to those who are still trying to find their place in the DNI space or maybe you're unsure if they have a place in DNI work at all? My advice would be to listen to voices that are not like yours. I think that's probably the most important thing you can do. If you're in the workplace and you notice that a woman gets cut off or her idea is dismissed and then repeated five minutes later by a man and that idea is endorsed, stand up for that. Like that is, that is a, a hard concrete thing that you can do in, in that space. And I think once you start listening to voices that aren't like yours, you will find ways to contribute. I think it's a lot of it just like having an open mind and not judging anyone for how they feel or how they interact with other people or how you interact with other people. But just being willing to learn about other cultures and other groups and that type of thing. And if you're not sure about something, ask questions. I know, I think a while back ago, I had some questions about the LGBT community, and I asked Monica some questions. Just finding people that you feel comfortable with to ask questions to and just learn more information without being biased. I would say to celebrate diversity and to foster inclusion throughout society, we need everyone's participation. Not, the, not just people who are considered to be of marginalized backgrounds. We need everyone to participate and to, um, <clears throat> and to fundamentally believe in everyone's equal rights. So I would say that you should get involved because we need everyone to change society for the better. I think um that people are afraid because they look at it as a political issue or they look at it as something that is going to be divisive and aggressive but i think remember that dni is a community like we're trying to foster a community of mutually shared knowledge and 
where we not you know honestly it's beyond a community a family right it's we want to share knowledge we want to be there for each other we want to stand up for each other we want to listen when they when you know when others need us to listen and so i think if you go into it and understand that you're just looking for a place in the family and sometimes that means you just need to listen sometimes that means you need to ask sometimes that means you need to celebrate i think just finding your role in the family but treating it as as a family is the way to go you know don't think of it as a political issue don't think of it as something that's you know wars need to be fought over you know look at it like a family and you're embracing your family and that you're coming into the family and uh, just like in your own family you have a role and that you can settle into that it's said that the best ally to a minority group is a cisgender straight white man because he has so much power in the world it's just getting him to wield that power so wield your power dr king said the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends toward justice the power to change the world comes from the power to change ourselves unknown Thank you to our special guests, Sarah, Kualik, Monica, and Ellen. This episode has been so illuminating, and I hope that all of you have enjoyed it as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.